Section 9 of the Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Sutliff. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. Introduction, Part 5. Radioisotopes, what are they, and how are they made? What are radioisotopes? The isotopes of an element are all the atoms that have in their nucleus the number of protons, atomic number, corresponding to the chemical behavior of that element. However, the isotopes of a single element vary in the number of neutrons in their nuclei. Since they still have the same number of protons, all these isotopes of an element have identical chemical behavior. But since they have different numbers of neutrons, these isotopes of the same element may have different radioactivity. An isotope that is radioactive is called a radioisotope, or radionuclide. Two examples may help clarify this. The most stable isotope of uranium uranium-238, has an atomic number of 92 protons and an atomic weight of 238, 92 protons plus 146 neutrons. The isotope of uranium of greatest importance in atomic bombs, uranium-235, though, has three fewer neutrons. Thus, it also has an atomic number of 92 since the number of protons has not changed, but an atomic weight of 235, 92 protons plus only 143 neutrons. The chemical behavior of uranium-235 is identical to all other forms of uranium, but its nucleus is less stable, giving it higher radioactivity and greater susceptibility to chain reactions that power both atomic bombs and nuclear fission reactors. Another example is iodine, an element essential for health. Insufficient iodine in one's diet can lead to a goiter. Iodine also is one of the earliest elements whose radioisotopes were used in what is now called nuclear medicine. The most common stable form of iodine has an atomic number of 53 protons and an atomic weight of 127, 53 protons, plus 74 neutrons. Because its nucleus has the correct number of neutrons, it is stable and is not radioactive. A less stable form of iodine also has 53 protons. This is what makes it behave chemically as iodine, but four extra neutrons for a total atomic weight of 131, 53 protons, and 78 neutrons. With too many neutrons in its nucleus, it is unstable and radioactive, with a half-life of eight days. Because it behaves chemically as iodine, it travels throughout the body and localizes in the thyroid gland, just like the stable form of iodine. But, because it is radioactive, its presence can be detected. Iodine-131 thus became one of the earliest radioactive tracers. How can different isotopes of an element be produced? 
How can isotopes be produced, especially radioisotopes, which can serve many useful purposes? There are two basic methods, separation and synthesis. Some isotopes occur in nature. If radioactive, these usually are radioisotopes with very long half-lives. Uranium-235, for example, makes up about 0.7% of the naturally occurring uranium on the Earth. The challenge is to separate this very small amount from the much larger bulk of other forms of uranium. The difficulty is that all these forms of uranium, because they have the same number of electrons, will have identical chemical behavior. They will bind in identical fashion to other atoms. Chemical separation, developing a chemical reaction that will bind only uranium atoms, will separate out uranium atoms, but will not distinguish among different isotopes of uranium. The only difference among the uranium isotopes is their atomic weight. A method had to be developed that would sort atoms according to weight. One initial proposal was to use a centrifuge. The basic idea is simple. Spin the uranium atoms as if they were on a very fast merry-go-round. The heavier ones will drift toward the outside faster and can be drawn off. In practice, the technique was an enormous challenge. The goal was to draw off that very small portion of uranium atoms that were lighter than their brethren. The difficulties were so enormous that the plan was abandoned in 1942. Instead, the technique of gaseous diffusion was developed. Again, the basic idea was very simple. The rate at which gas passed, diffused, through a filter depended on the weight of the gas molecules. Lighter molecules diffused more quickly. Gas molecules that contained uranium-235 would diffuse slightly faster than gas molecules containing the more common, but also heavier, uranium-238. This method also presented formidable technical challenges, but was eventually implemented in the gigantic gas diffusion plant at Oak Ridge, Tennessee. In this process, the uranium was chemically combined with fluorine to form a hexafluoride gas prior to separation by diffusion. This is not a practical method for extracting radioisotopes for scientific and medical use. It was extremely expensive and could only supply naturally occurring isotopes. A more efficient approach is to artificially manufacture radioisotopes. This can be done by firing high-speed particles into the nucleus of an atom. When struck, the nucleus may absorb the particles or become unstable and emit a particle. In either case, the number of particles in the nucleus would be altered, creating an isotope. One source of high-speed particles could be a cyclotron. A cyclotron accelerates particles around a circular racetrack with periodic pushes of an electric field. The particles gather speed with each push, just as a child swings higher with each push on a swing. When traveling fast enough, the particles are directed off the racetrack and into the target. A cyclotron works only with charged particles, however. Another source of bullets are the neutrons already shooting about inside a nuclear reactor. The neutrons normally strike the nucleus of the fuel, making them unstable and causing the nuclei to split, fission, into two large fragments and two or three free neutrons. 
These free neutrons in turn make additional nuclei unstable, causing further fission. The result is a chain reaction. Too many neutrons can lead to an uncontrolled chain reaction, releasing too much heat and perhaps causing a meltdown. Therefore, surplus neutrons are usually absorbed by control rods. However, these surplus neutrons can also be absorbed by targets of carefully selected material placed in the reactor. In this way, the surplus neutrons are used to create radioactive isotopes of the materials placed in the targets. With practice, scientists using both cyclotrons and reactors have learned the proper mix of target atoms and shooting particles to cook up a wide variety of useful radioisotopes. How does radiation affect humans? Radiation may come from either an external source, such as an x-ray machine, or an internal source, such as an injected radioisotope. The impact of radiation on living tissues is complicated by the type of radiation and the variety of tissues. In addition, the effects of radiation are not always easy to separate from other factors, making it a challenge at times for scientists to isolate them. An overview may help explain not only the effects of radiation, but also the motivation for studying them, which led to much of the research examined by the advisory committee. What effect can ionizing radiation have on chemical bonds? The functions of living tissues are carried out by molecules, that is, combinations of different types of atoms united by chemical bonds. Some of these molecules can be quite large. The proper functioning of these molecules depends upon their composition and also their structure, shape. Altering chemical bonds may change composition or structure. Ionizing radiation is powerful enough to do this. For example, a typical ionization releases six to seven times the energy needed to break the chemical bond between two carbon atoms. This ability to disrupt chemical bonds means that ionizing radiation focuses its impact in a very small but crucial area, a bit like a karate master focusing energy to break a brick. The same amount of raw energy distributed more broadly in non-ionizing form would have much less effect. For example, the amount of energy in a lethal dose of ionizing radiation is roughly equal to the amount of thermal energy in a single sip of hot coffee. The crucial difference is that the coffee's energy is broadly distributed in the form of non-ionizing heat, while the radiation's energy is concentrated in a form that can ionize. What is DNA? Of all the molecules in the body, the most crucial is DNA, deoxyribose nucleic acid, the fundamental blueprint of all of the body's structures. The DNA blueprint is encoded in each cell as a long sequence of small molecules linked together into a chain much like the letters in a telegram. DNA molecules are enormously long chains of atoms wound around proteins and packed into structures called chromosomes within the cell nucleus. When unwound, the DNA in a single human cell would be more than two meters long. 
it normally exists as 23 pairs of chromosomes packed within the cell nucleus, which itself has a diameter of only 10 micrometers, one ten-thousandth of a meter. Only a small part of this DNA needs to be read at any one time to build a specific molecule. Each cell is continually reading various parts of its own DNA as it constructs fresh molecules to perform a variety of tasks. It is worth remembering that the structure of DNA was not solved until 1953, nine years after the beginning of the period studied by the advisory committee. We now have a much clearer picture of what happens within a cell than did the scientists of 1944. What effect can ionizing radiation have on DNA? Ionizing radiation, by definition, ionizes, that is, it pushes an electron out of its orbit around an atomic nucleus, causing the formation of electrical charges on atoms or molecules. If this electron comes from the DNA itself or from a neighboring molecule and directly strikes and disrupts the DNA molecule, the effect is called direct action. This initial ionization takes place very quickly in about one trillionth of a second. However, today it is estimated that about two-thirds of the damage caused by x-rays is due to indirect action. This occurs when the liberated electron does not directly strike the DNA, but instead strikes an ordinary water molecule. This ionizes the water molecule, eventually producing what is known as a free radical. A free radical reacts very strongly with other molecules as it seeks to restore a stable configuration of electrons. A free radical may drift about up to 10 billion times longer than the time needed for the initial ionization. This is still a very short time, about one ten-thousandth of a second, increasing the chance of it disrupting the crucial DNA molecule. This also increases the possibility that other substances could be introduced that would neutralize free radicals before they do damage. Neutrons act quite differently. A fast neutron will bypass orbiting electrons and occasionally crash directly into an atomic nucleus, knocking out large particles such as alpha particles, protons, or larger fragments of the nucleus. The most common collisions are with carbon or oxygen nuclei. The particles created will themselves then set about ionizing nearby electrons. A slow neutron will not have the energy to knock out large particles when it strikes a nucleus. Instead, the neutron and the nucleus will bounce off each other like billiard balls. In so doing, the neutron will slow down and the nucleus will gain speed. The most common collision is with a hydrogen nucleus, a proton that can excite or ionize electrons in nearby atoms. What immediate effects can ionizing radiation have on living cells? All of these collisions and ionizations take place very quickly, in less than a second. It takes much longer for the biological effects to become apparent. If the damage is sufficient to kill the cell, the effect may become noticeable in hours or days. Cell death can be of two types. First, the cell may no longer perform its function due to internal ionization. This requires a dose to the cell of about 100 gray. 10,000 rad. 
For a definition of gray and red, see the section below titled, How do we measure the biological effects of radiation? Second, reproductive death, mitotic inhibition, may occur when a cell can no longer reproduce, but still performs its other functions. This requires a dose of 2 gray, 200 rad, which will cause reproductive death in half the cells irradiated. Hence, such a quantity is called a mean lethal dose. Today we still lack enough information to choose among the various models proposed to explain cell death in terms of what happens at the level of atoms and molecules inside a cell. If enough crucial cells within the body totally cease to function, the effect is fatal. Death may also result if cell reproduction ceases in parts of the body where cells are continuously being replaced at a high rate such as the blood cell-forming tissues in the lining of the intestinal tract. A very high dose of 100 gray, 10,000 rad, to the entire body causes death within 24 to 48 hours. A whole body dose of 2.5 to 5 gray, 250 to 500 rad, may produce death within several weeks. At lower or more localized doses, the effect will not be death, but specific symptoms due to the loss of a large number of cells. These effects were once called non-stochastic. They are now called deterministic. A beta burn is an example of a deterministic effect. What long-term effects can radiation have? The effect of the radiation may not be to kill the cell but to alter its DNA code in a way that leaves the cell alive but with an error in the DNA blueprint. The effect of this mutation will depend on the nature of the error and when it is read. Since this is a random process, such effects are now called stochastic. Two important stochastic effects of radiation are cancer, which results from mutations in non-germ cells, termed somatic cells, and heritable changes which result from mutations in germ cells, eggs, and sperm. How can ionizing radiation cause cancer? Cancer is produced if radiation does not kill the cell, but creates an error in the DNA blueprint that contributes to eventual loss of control of cell division, and the cell begins dividing uncontrollably. This effect might not appear for many years. Cancers induced by radiation do not differ from cancers due to other causes, and so there is no simple way to measure the rate of cancer due to radiation. During the period studied by the advisory committee, great effort was devoted to studies of irradiated animals and exposed groups of people to develop better estimates of the risk of cancer due to radiation. This type of research is complicated by a variety of cancers which vary in radiosensitivity. For example, bone marrow is more sensitive than skin cells to radiation-induced cancer. Large doses of radiation to large numbers of people are needed in order to cause measurable increases in the number of cancers and thus determine the differences in the sensitivity of different organs to radiation. Because the cancers can occur any time in the exposed person's lifetime, these studies can take 70 years or more to complete. For example, 
The largest and scientifically most valuable epidemiologic study of radiation effects has been the ongoing study of the Japanese atomic bomb survivors. Other important studies include studies of large groups exposed to radiation as a consequence of their occupation, such as uranium miners, or as a consequence of medical treatment. These types of studies are discussed in greater detail in the section titled How do scientists determine the long-term risks from radiation? How can ionizing radiation produce genetic mutations? Radiation may alter the DNA within any cell. Cell damage and death that result from mutations in somatic cells occur only in the organism in which the mutation occurred and are therefore termed somatic or non-heritable effects. Cancer is the most notable long-term somatic effect. In contrast, mutations that occur in germ cells, sperm and ova, can be transmitted to future generations and are therefore called genetic or heritable effects. Genetic effects may not appear until many generations later. The genetic effects of radiation were first demonstrated in fruit flies in the 1920s. Genetic mutation due to radiation does not produce the visible monstrosities of science fiction. It simply produces a greater frequency of the same mutations that occur continuously and spontaneously in nature. Like cancers, the genetic effects of radiation are impossible to distinguish from mutations due to other causes. Today, at least 1,300 diseases are known to be caused by a mutation. Some mutations may be beneficial. Random mutation is the driving force in evolution. During the period studied by the advisory committee, there was considerable debate among the scientific community over both the extent and the consequences of radiation-induced mutations. In contrast to estimates of cancer risk, which are based in part on studies of human populations, estimates of heritable risk are based, for the most part, upon animal studies, plus studies of Japanese survivors of the atomic bombs. The risk of genetic mutation is expressed in terms of the doubling dose, the amount of radiation that would cause additional mutations equal in number to those that already occur naturally from all causes, thereby doubling the naturally occurring rate of mutation. It is generally believed that mutation rates depend linearly on dose, and that there is no threshold below which mutation rates would not be increased. Spontaneous mutation, unrelated to radiation, occurs naturally at a rate of approximately 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 1 million cell divisions per gene, with wide variation from one gene to another. Attempts have been made to estimate the contribution of ionizing radiation to human mutation rates by studying the offspring of both exposed and non-exposed Japanese atomic bomb survivors. These estimates are based on comparisons of the rate of various congenital defects and cancer between exposed and non-exposed survivors as well as on direct counting of mutations at a small number of genes. For all these endpoints, no excess has been observed among descendants of the exposed survivors. Given this lack of direct evidence of any increase in human heritable genetic effects resulting from radiation exposure, the estimates of genetic risks in humans have been compared with experimental data obtained with laboratory animals. However, 
Estimates of human genetic risks vary greatly from animal data. For example, fruit flies have very large chromosomes that appear to be uniquely susceptible to radiation. Humans may be less vulnerable than previously thought. Statistical lower limits on the doubling dose have been calculated that are compatible with the observed human data. Based on our inability to demonstrate an effect in humans, the lower limit for the genetic doubling dose is thought to be less than 100 rem. How do we measure the biological effects of external radiation? The methods of measuring radiation and radioactivity, purely physical events, were discussed earlier. In studying the effect of radiation on living organisms, a biological event, the crucial data are the amount of energy absorbed by a specific amount and type of tissue. This requires first measuring the amount of energy left behind by the radiation in the tissue, and second, the amount and type of tissue. What is an absorbed dose of radiation? The risk posed to a human being by any radiation exposure depends partly upon the absorbed dose, the amount of energy absorbed per gram of tissue. Absorbed dose is expressed in rad. A rad is equal to 100 ergs of energy absorbed by one gram of tissue. A more modern, internationally adopted unit is the gray named for the English medical physicist L. H. Gray. One gray equals 100 rad. Almost all of the documents from the time period studied by the advisory committee use the term rad rather than gray. It is important to realize that absorbed dose refers to energy per gram of absorbing tissue, not total energy. Someone absorbing one gray, 100 rad, in a small amount of tissue, such as a thyroid gland, will absorb much less total energy than someone absorbing 1 gray, 100 rad, throughout his or her entire body. Thus, when speaking of absorbed dose, it is crucial to know the amount of tissue being exposed, not simply the number of gray or rad. What is an equivalent dose of radiation? Even the rad or gray, though, are still units that measure a purely physical event, the amount of energy left behind in a gram of tissue. It does not directly measure the biological effect of that radiation. The biological effect of the same amount of absorbed energy may vary according to the type of radiation involved. This biological effect can be computed by multiplying the absorbed dose in rad or gray by a number indicating the quality factor of the particular type of radiation. For photons and electrons, the quality factor is defined to be 1. For neutrons, it ranges from 5 to 20 depending on the energy of the neutron. For alpha particles, it is 20. Thus, 1 gray, 100 rad, of alpha particles is currently judged to have an effect on living tissue that is 20 times more than 1 gray, 100 rads of x-rays. Multiplying the absorbed dose in rad or gray by the quality factor, also known as the radiation weighting factor, produces what is called the equivalent dose. For the period studied by the advisory committee, this was expressed in terms of a unit called the REM, an acronym for Rankin Equivalent Man. The term equivalent 
simply means that an absorbed dose expressed in REM would have equivalent biological effects regardless of the type of radiation. Thus, 10 REM of X-rays should have the same biological effect as 10 REM of neutrons absorbed by the same part of the body. The modern unit is the sievert, abbreviated SV and named for the prominent Swedish radiologist Rolf Sievert, which is equal to 100 rem. Thus, an equivalent dose of 200 rem would today be expressed as 2 sievert. What is an effective dose of radiation? Finally, the biological effect of radiation depends on the type of tissue being irradiated. As with different types of radiation, a weighting or quality factor is introduced depending on the type of tissue. The more sensitive the tissue is to radiation, the higher the factor. The effective dose is the sum of the equivalent doses of the various types of irradiated tissue, each properly weighted for its sensitivity to radiation. Tissue weighting factors are determined from the relative incidence of cancers in different tissues in the Japanese survivors of the atomic bombs. Calculating the effective dose makes it possible to readily compare different exposures, as illustrated by the accompanying graphs. Title of the graphs Experimental and Non-Experimental Doses Two plots appear on page 58. They are both titled Thyroid Studies with Iodine-131. Each of the two plots shows a stratification. In the upper, a division is made between those receiving largest dose and those receiving smallest dose, while in the lower plot, those receiving largest thyroid dose versus those receiving smallest thyroid dose. Although the two plots differ in that one refers to millirem with thyroid excluded and the other represents RADs received by the thyroid, the two plots are qualitatively similar demonstrating the claim that effective dose makes it possible to readily compare different exposures. Three charts appear on page 59. They are titled Fernald School Nutrition Study Calcium Tracer, Fernald School Nutrition Study Iron Tracer, and Common Medical Procedures. The upper pair concern the Fernald School Nutrition Study. The first about the calcium tracer, the second about the iron tracer. Both display effective dose equivalent in millirems for those receiving the smallest dose, those receiving the largest dose, and a representative Denver resident. For each of these cohorts, effective dose equivalent is shown both within the study group and the annual natural background radiation they were exposed to. The pair of plots demonstrates that, in the case of the iron tracer, the effective dose equivalent in the study group is of the same order of magnitude as the annual natural background radiation. In contrast, for the calcium tracer, the effective dose equivalent received by the study group is relatively negligible compared to the annual natural background radiation received by that group. This comparison can be made because the effective dose makes it possible to readily compare different exposures. The third plot 
on page 59 is titled Common Medical Procedures and shows the whole body effective dose equivalent in millirems for four different medical procedures, chest x-ray, back x-ray, colon x-ray, and brain scan, showing both the annual natural background and dose received from the procedure. In the case of chest x-ray, the additional dose from the procedure is negligible compared to annual natural background. In the case of back x-ray, it is about a third more. In the case of colon x-ray, it is greater than the amount received in annual natural background. And in the case of brain scan, it is more than twice higher than that received in annual natural background. Although these medical procedures are directed towards very different parts of the anatomy, the comparison can be made because effective dose makes it possible to readily compare different exposures. End of section 9.